We are currently studying the book of Micah in Sunday school. If you'll find your place in Micah chapter 5, we're going to read verses 7 through 15. I'll do a short recap of what we've covered so far, pick back up where we left off in verse 7. So we find here in Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord, as the showers upon the grass that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many people as a lion among the beasts of the forest, as a young lion among the, among the flocks of sheep, who if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Thine hand shall be lifted up upon thine adversaries, and all thine enemies shall be cut off. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots. And I will cut off the cities of thy land and throw down all thy strongholds. And I will cut off witchcrafts out of thine hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Thy graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee. And thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. And I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee, so will I destroy thy cities. And I will execute vengeance in anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have not heard." Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning, and now we pray you'd open our understanding that we would understand the scriptures. We ask that you'd be with every class, every heart, every listener, every speaker. And God, may what we do this morning be pleasing in your sight, and we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. So here we, we, we've seen in Micah, the judgment is on the way. God has finally had enough of their denying his law. The, the people, the princes, the prophets, the priests have all been corrupted they're all covetous, they're all wanting money, and judgment's on the way. We see there in verse 2 of chapter 5, this idea of captivity turns to deliverance. Judah would eventually be inhabited again, and from Bethlehem would come the Messiah. That's where he was born. In verse 3, we saw that while there would be a return to Judea, there wouldn't be real peace until Christ arrived. They would be given up until... She which travaileth hath brought forth. The Babylonians would take Judah captive for 70 years. The Persians would take over the Babylonians. And through the Persian king Cyrus, they would be released from captivity. They would be allowed to restore the city, rebuild the temple. After the Persians came the Greeks. Uh, under Alexander the Great, after he died, the empire was partitioned into four quarters. And then you had the Ptolemies and the Seleucids who were kind of in the crosshairs of Judea during that time. You had the Seleucids in Syria to the north, the Ptolemies in Egypt to the south, and as they would battle, Judah would just be right in the middle of it. And th then came Antiochus the Great, then Seleucus Philopater. He was the raiser of taxes. Antiochus Epiphanes, he was the vile person. And, and you'll see all of this in Daniel 11. It's the chronicle of what took place in Judah during this time. The Romans took over in 63 B.C. And Daniel, ends, Daniel 11 ends by talking about uh, Herod the Great. doesn't use his name, but that's who it's referring to. He was king over Judea when the Messiah was born. Then at the end of Micah 5.3, we saw that how in Christ there would be a remnant of Israel who would return. But this would be a deliverance from spiritual captivity through Christ's sacrifice, not a physical deliverance from out from under the Romans, that never happened. 
The Romans remained in power for several hundred years after Christ ascended. And, and so what we, what we see here is that even though Judah would be inhabited, there would not be this, this peace in the sense that they would not have a complete break from Gentile oversight. You would have all these kingdoms that would keep taking over and, and ruling this area. And then after the Romans, if I know correctly, I don't really, really know much of that history, but if I remember correctly, that's when the Muslims came in and all the rest. So it's been constant Gentile dominance. And, and that's what, when we see that judgment was coming, even though Judah would be inhabited again, they would be given up. That's what verse 3 says. They would be given up until she which travaileth hath brought forth. So therefore, because they remained under political dominance uh, in a worldly mindset, what was their deliverance going to be? It had to be the fact that they were delivered in Christ, that Christ brought forgiveness of sins, that in Christ we can be delivered from our spiritual captivity. Somebody say amen right there. We, we can have victory in Christ because of what He has done for us. And so the, the, the deliverance here isn't this idea that we're all going to sing Kumbaya and have a great uh, America. And we just need to come to terms with the fact that we're living in the days of unsettled times. Amen. And, and, it's, it, and listen, our peace, our deliverance only comes through Christ. It doesn't come through any political entity. Now, thank God when those line up. You heard me speak last time how that's what's missing in America in our day as opposed to in the 1700s. There's not a, a mixing of political realm and the uh, pulpit. They're not speaking the same message because we've kicked God out of government. Anyway, I don't want to re-preach that. So then in verse 4 and 5, we see the ministry of Christ. He stands and feeds, feeds us in the strength and majesty of God while we get to abide. He will be great unto the ends of the earth. And we saw how Christ is our peace even while facing the enemy. Remember from last week at the end of verse 5 that our Lord will raise up shepherds and principal men. These are those in the church and those in the political realm who will battle against the enemy. And in verse 6, God will be victorious when the enemy rises up against us. And ultimately, listen, the day's coming when the last trump will sound. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Christ. Revelation 11. He will put down all rule and authority. What a day that'll be, amen. And as the song says, it's closer now than it's ever been. But this brings us to verse number 7. Remember that the context leading up to verse 7 is the birth of Christ and His ministry. In verses 7 through 15, we're going to see the propagation of the gospel in this kingdom age in which we live. We're going to see Christ through the remnant of Jacob being preached to the Gentiles. And we're going to see before it's over with in this chapter, this is going to be great as it unfolds. We're not going to get to it today. But we're going to see how God is going to take away all that they trust in in order that He gets the glory. That's going to be important as we go through the remainder of this chapter. So look at verses 7 and 8. And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord, as the showers upon the grass, that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many people, 
as a lion among the beasts of the forest, as a young lion among the flocks of sheep, who if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. The remnant in Micah first showed up in Micah 2.12, where God said, I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Basra, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make a great noise by reason of the multitude of men. The remnant is mentioned again in Micah 4, 6, and 7. In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted, and I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast off a strong nation. The Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. And here in verse uh, 3, we see there would be a remnant who would return in Christ. And from this remnant, God would become great unto the ends of the earth. From this remnant, God is going to reach the multitudes. The multitude, the, the Bible says the forces of the Gentiles from this remnant of Jacob are going to be reached. And this remnant again is mentioned here in verses 7 and 8. And I'll just say this, never judge God's ability to deliver and bless based upon the numerical size of a remnant. Never look at maybe what we're seeing in our landscape today and how we appear to be a dying breed, those in our stripe. And we may look at it and we may be tempted to say, you know, it's just just in, in days. And that's just the way it's going to be. No, listen, don't ever look at the remnant and say, God can't. God can. This remnant that's spoken of here was very small. And yet from this, God did a mighty work. God has always had upon this earth a remnant. He always will. Before the flood, God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great, and that his mind was only evil continually. And God said, I'm going to destroy the... But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why did Noah find grace? Because the Bible says he was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Noah was God's remnant. In the days of Elijah, he thought he was the last. Hid himself under the juniper tree there and wanted to die. What did God say to Elijah after he he got him up on the mountain? He said, there are 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Small remnant. But God's able to use that remnant. There's always a remnant. When Christ began His public ministry, He called only 12 men. Isn't that amazing? Only 12. That 12 grew to 70. That 70 grew to 120. That 120 may have grown to 500, depending on how you read those who saw Jesus ascend. And we know that by the end of Acts chapter 2, it had grown into the thousands. Isn't that amazing? From 12 men, just over three and a half years later. Don't ever look at the remnant and say, God can't. And that that remnant of those thousands, there was, I think by the end of Acts chapter 5, 
There was over 8,000 people that have come to Christ um, in Israel, particularly there in Jerusalem. And if secular history is correct, by the end of the first century, the gospel had spread all the way westward and a great deal eastward as well. So you had the apostles, they were going out and they were preaching, they were spreading the gospel. We know that the apostle Paul gets a lot of the attention because he's recorded in the Bible for us. But from this little group, God was reaching a multitude of people. You know, Zechariah 4.10 asked the question, For who hath despised the day of small things? Job 8.7 says, Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. So don't let the numerical size depress you if it is small. God is able to deliver by many or by few. God delivered all the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage at the hand of Moses. Just think about that. We know God was working through Moses. We, we know that. But God sent Moses to deliver maybe as many as three million people out from under the mightiest empire that was in the world. God sent one man, well, an Aaron to be his mouthpiece, and delivered an, uh, the children of Israel out. One principal man. One shepherd. God did all that. There's no telling what God can do when somebody just gets on fire for Him. Jonathan and his armor bearer went against 20 Philistines. I don't know if you remember that account. 1 Samuel 14.6, he said, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Just read through the book of Judges and you'll see how God would take one man to bring great deliverance for His people. God would use an old man in Othniel to bring deliverance. God would use a crippled man in Ehud to bring deliverance. God would use a farmer in Shamgar to bring deliverance. Doesn't matter to God. Doesn't matter what you do. God can use an old man. He can use a crippled man. He can use a farmer. And He can bring deliverance to a nation. So long as that person has the desire to walk right with their God. Because the eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro throughout the whole earth. Seeking to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is right toward Him. Of course, there was Gideon who went against the Midianites. 32,000 men showed up to fight. God said, that's too many. I won't get the glory. Y'all will end up uh, taking all the credit for this victory, so I need you to get that number down. So they advertised, if you're fearful, you can go home. Out of 32,000, 22,000 men went home afraid. God said, that's still too many. 10,000 is not going to work. And so he had them drink down at the brook, and depending on how they took the water was who they selected. Long story short, 300 men. God said, that's the number. I want the small remnant because that's where I will get the glory. God doesn't need a bunch. He just needs people that want Him to get the glory. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 14, 11, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on Thee, and in Thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, Thou art our God, let not man prevail against Thee. Romans 8.31, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who shall be against us? And the key is Zechariah 4.6, which says, Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. 
It is because of God and His power. The victory is because of who God is, not the size of His people. We look at our nation and we think, boy, it's really heading in all kind of bad directions. Listen, all it's going to take is one church to catch fire. All it's going to take is another Jonathan Edwards or another George Whitfield or another John Wesley. Would to God. Whatever you're going through today, I want to tell you, God is able to deliver you. Don't get a defeatist mindset. And conclude that God can't. God can. He taught us to pray, but deliver us from evil. Second Peter 2.9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Second Timothy 4.18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're in the company of those who would say, God could never save someone like me. You know, the Bible says God is able to save to the uttermost. God can bring you deliverance, but you must humble yourself and call upon Him. Galatians 1.4, speaking of Christ, says, "...who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father." He's able. He's able. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. No, but He does. And His blood can cleanse every stain. Wash it away, in fact. Now we see in verse 7 that the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people. In other words, there was going to be no stopping the gospel. We can see that today because of the day in which we live. We're in the last of the last, amen? We can see the gospel's gone around. We can see that there has been no stopping the gospel. It's in places where people are being beheaded for their faith. The gospel is there. It's in places where the government is taking a wrecking ball during church service over in China and wrecking a ball into the side of the building, hoping to kill the ones that are in there, the gospel is still going forth. The gospel is still going forth even in socialist countries, communist countries, oppressive regimes, even in places like America where we can't decide what we want to be. The gospel is going forth. Nothing can stop the gospel. After Christ ascended the remnant, Spoken of here, they propagated the gospel message far and wide by picking up Christ's message of preaching deliverance to the captive and liberty to those that were bruised. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. It was a spiritual deliverance that we need. That's what we need today. You say, boy, it'd be nice to get all the politicians all lined up. That's only going to happen when there's spiritual deliverance. Amen. You can do a lot in the power of your flesh, but eventually the flesh is going to fail you. The arm of the flesh will fail you. Jesus said, the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing. It is the spirit that we need. It is a spiritual deliverance that our nation needs. God always foretold of this remnant through the prophets. Paul shows how God kept His Word. Romans 9.27 Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the seed, a remnant shall be saved. Romans 11.1-5 I say then, hath God cast away His people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away His people, which He foreknew. Wot ye not what the Scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and digged down thine altars, and 
I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. God said, I didn't forget. I didn't fail of my promises. There is a remnant. And listen, Paul said, I'm in that remnant. This remnant is said to be as dew from the Lord, as showers upon the grass. Water in the Bible many times is used metaphorically to speak of God's blessings and God's Word. Deuteronomy 32.2 says, My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Psalm 72, 6 and 7. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. In His day shall the righteous flourish an abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven. I'm getting ready for that. Amen. I'm so tired of this heat. Somebody say amen right there. As the snow from heaven comes down. I don't want it to come too fast, but I am ready, okay? I'm ready for it to cool down. I hope this is the last day we hit 90 degrees. Somebody better take a lap right here because I'm starting to feel the spirit. Amen. Uh, This is it. Falls on the way. I'm so excited. Okay, moving on. It comes down. Returneth not thither, but watereth the earth. And maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Ephesians 5, 26, 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now, to me, the dew is an amazing atmospheric phenomenon. Uh, I was a meteorologist for 21 years, so I get kind of geeky when it comes to weather stuff in the Bible. Uh, The the dew to me is just amazing. Dew forms when the surface temperature of the ground or whatever object there cools down enough for water vapor to condense into these water droplets that you see upon the object. So the temperature must cool down to the dew point, the point at which dew can form. You've all heard of the dew point. And, and the Bible says here that they, they would be as the dew. What's amazing about the dew to me is it's an unseen process until the dew distills. You can't see it happening. You can feel it maybe. You can feel the temperature drop but you can't see what's taking place. It's a great picture of God's Word working unseen in the heart. Once you are saturated with the Word of God, then it shows itself outwardly. The dew. Manna in the Bible was a type of Christ in His Word. It's called bread from heaven, and Jesus said, I'm the bread of life which cometh down from heaven. He's the word of life. The Bible says in Numbers 11.9, And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Isn't that interesting? The, the, the manna came when the dew came. It was an unseen work. But it manifested itself when the dew fell. And once the light shined upon it, this is so good to me. I, Jesus was born into this world at night when the dew forms. 
the only begotten Son of God was revealed from heaven. An angel appeared to the shepherds at night. And what happened? The glory of the Lord shone about them. And it was revealed to them that the Savior had been born. The dew and the light will reveal what otherwise may be unseen at first. We often see the conditions necessary for dew to form here in our area. Drive around early in the morning and you'll see things that you may not see with the natural eye when the dew is on the ground. For example, I like to drive, go out early in the morning and you'll see hundreds if not thousands of spider webs along the side of the road. The dew has fallen on the web. It's attached to the web and you can see there's a lot of creepy crawlies out there. It reveals the dew when the light comes up It reveals what otherwise is unseen. Isn't it interesting that after the fall of mankind, God came to the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. A time when the process of dew beginning to form would begin. Adam and Eve hid themselves. Why? Because God's light was going to reveal to them who they really were. Their sinfulness. The dew and the light reveal. Anger and heat are often found together in the Bible. You'll you'll see where God's anger is hot. Anger and heat go together. And you know, sometimes God can do it and be perfect, but you and I, we struggle with this. Sometimes we get so angry, we get so worked up, we get so hot, we burn with anger. And when this this happens, we cannot see what God's Word is trying to reveal to us. It can't get into our heart. It can't form. But if we could learn to cool down and allow the dew to form, the light of God will reveal His doctrines and the path that He has for us to take. And this is why things often look different in the morning. We've cooled down. The dew has formed. The light has revealed God's Word and what it is we need to do. Gideon requested that God would confirm His Word to him that He would deliver Israel by His hand through the dew. Remember that? We can debate whether or not Gideon should have been doing it another time, but I don't see where God upbraided him. Nonetheless, God said He was going to deliver Midian into Gideon's hand. Gideon says, well, I tell you what, Lord, if you'll just let the dew be on the fleece and not on the ground, I'll believe your Word. God honored that. Gideon said, I just want to be sure, Lord, don't be mad at me. Don't get, don't get hot. That's what he says. Don't get angry with me, Lord, but if you could, just let the dew be on the ground and not on the fleece. And, and I may have those backwards, okay, but you get the point. All right? I'm, not, I'm not really a theologian. I just play one in the pulpit. And, uh, and, and listen, God, He used the dew to confirm the direction that Gideon needed to go. And I'm just establishing how dew reveals things. When we give the Word of God, we just need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in the heart of the people, in the unseen places. But we good Baptists like to beat people up. Amen. We just need to give the Word of God and let God begin to work. Let the dew begin to form. It will eventually manifest itself but allow the Holy Spirit to work. Allow God to reveal what He needs to reveal. 
I'm not saying there are times where you definitely need to open your mouth, okay? But there are a lot of times where we just need to give the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit work. We don't have to be the Holy Spirit in everybody's life is what I'm saying. Well, anyway, this remnant here in our text was in the midst of many people. And as the gospel spread, uh, as it began to spread there in the first century, the hearts of men were being revealed to who they really were. They were idolatrous. Listen, Paul got to one town and said, what you doing with this altar to the unknown God for? The dew was falling. It was revealing. It was showing people, look, you need a Savior. You're a sinner. You're lost. You need to be saved. The remnant here is likened as the showers upon the grass. Now, these aren't torrents of water that we're talking about. Not the kind of water that destroys everything in its path, but this is life-giving water that causes growth as it saturates the ground. I remember talking to Jack Dustman before, and he said, uh, yeah, I, I just, we just need like three days of steady light rain. I don't need a torrent of rain. We need it to saturate the ground slowly, unless it causes all kind of washouts and stuff. That's what we're talking about here, a saturation kind of a rain that is life-giving. And I believe what we're talking about right now fits our theme this year pretty well, wouldn't you? We are to fill Jerusalem with our doctrine. You know, in other words, what we're saying, we need to saturate Rapid City with the doctrine of God. Saturate it as dew, as showers upon the mown grass. That's what we need to be doing. Now we see here that the dew and the rain are from the Lord. And this is where it gets really important as we, as we continue through this chapter. It's from the Lord. God in His mercy sent the remnant out to proclaim deliverance and liberty. Jesus said in Matthew 5.45 that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. The farmer that can shake his fist at God may still see it rain and the one who loves the Lord will still see it rain. God sends the rain all over. All, and, and here's the point, all can be partakers of God's goodness if they'll choose to, to do so. All of us can be partakers of God's salvation. When people receive the truth of God's Word in spirit and in truth, then as Matthew Henry related, quote, it cools and mitigates God's wrath which would otherwise burn them up. Think about that. The dew falls, the rain falls, it cools us down. We receive the Word of God. We get born again. The sentence of God's wrath is taking, taken away from us in Christ. He has taken the wrath of God in our place. God's anger is cooled against us. Amen. Next we see that it tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. Now this is speaking of their continual dependence upon God. Who sends the dew and who sends the rain? It's not man. It's, it's from God without man's power. We've tried to monkey around with that stuff and we've just messed it all up. It comes from God. And just as we are dependent upon God to send the dew and the rain, so we are dependent upon God to send deliverance. We could not save ourselves. Our dependence is not upon the creature, but the Creator. 
The, the spread of the gospel by this remnant is not going to be by human power. Oh, we, so many times we think it's us. But it is not by our power if it's ever going to transform anybody. It is God. It is God that sends the dew and the rain. And it is God that brings deliverance. It doesn't make in our mind in our sense how God could spread the gospel so effectively during times of persecution. But He does. That doesn't make sense to us how it works. We may not understand all the meteorological processes out there, but it's how God works. And listen, when you go through difficult times, it isn't meant to cause us to be... Uh, it, when we go through those difficult times, what God is trying to do is He's trying to say this, I need you to come back and be fully reliant upon Me. Because right now, you're acting like you have it all figured out. You're acting like you can save yourself, deliver yourself, you can overcome this problem, you can do all this. And God says, no, I want you back in fellowship with me. And I need you to realize that I'm the one you depend on, not yourself. And so God sends hard times. See, I don't like the hard times. I don't either. But God wants us to depend on Him alone. He wants us to learn it's entirely God's work. Yes, we know God uses man to deliver the message, but listen, we can't change anyone. Have you ever saved somebody? I haven't. We, we can't. We don't have that power. It all goes back to depending on Him. The Holy Spirit has to work in the heart. Cause a person to be delivered. Our deliverance in Christ was a result of God's work in mercy and love. He sent Christ to make a way of salvation because we could never save ourselves. He didn't need man, get this now, He didn't need man to help because man couldn't help. We couldn't. Daniel Whittle wrote the hymn, I Know Whom I Have Believed. There are two verses, I think, which fit this idea well. I know not how this saving faith to me He did impart, nor how believing in His Word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. But I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that He's able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. i got to wrap this up. The Bible says in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 28, And He said, this is Jesus, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade in the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. We may not understand it all. We certainly don't control it all. How many of you learned that? God works in the heart by His power. As due from the Lord. Hey, just cool down. Just cool down. Stop being so hot. Stop being so angry. Stop being so bitter. Cool down. Let the dew form. Let the light of God's Word reveal what it is you need to see. As dew from the Lord, as the showers upon the grass, that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. So until next time, let's pray.